Okay, everybody, uh, welcome to our Mind Hunter Companion Podcast. I'm Doug. Uh, as always, my partner is Peter. Welcome, Doug. I don't know which one of us is Holden and which one of us is Bill Tench. Um, and here we're going to do... Or Kemper. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, we are going to do Season 1, Episode 3 today of Mind Hunter. You ready to go? Sure. I hope okay. so because we started. <laughs> I know. So we begin, uh, as now is a little bit of a trend, we begin with more uh, Dennis Rader. And we see Dennis Rader working in dun, 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 the creepiest job he could possibly have, an ADT security worker. Uh, and he's shown examining the ways in and out of a house in the guise of doing his job as a security system installer uh, to the point where he even startles the, uh, the homeowner, the woman, the wife, uh, who doesn't realize that he's still in the house, just sort of implying you know, all of his nefarious plans are sort of firing away on all cylinders in his head. Well, he's Do you think uh, ADT was overjoyed to be represented? Because there's obviously still, <laughs> still an alarm company. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But I think that he actually did work. I think that was his actual job. Yeah. Uh, was, uh, was, uh, you know, he, that was his job. He worked that uh, actual position. So it's crazy to think about, but it shows, you know, like why that was an appealing, right. An appealing job to him. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, so again, uh, just a brief, a uh, brief glimpse of Dennis uh, gearing up and we know we're going to meet Dennis down the road in this show. Uh, and then uh, we, uh, we shift gears right to Dr. Uh, Wendy Carr. Right. The episode really starts where they're going up to Harvard, basically. And Is it supposed to be Harvard? I thought it was supposed to be somewhere nearby them. No, they go to Boston. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and they meet Wendy Carr, right? Um, and she, you know, she's very engaged in their idea. She's interested in psychopathy already. Um, right. And she's, she's the one an that academic, very like, academic, psychological uh, academic. researcher. Yeah. Right. She's, you know, she's all structure and organization, right? Whereas they're more boots on the ground, especially Bill. She's much more abstract, but she's very, very organized in her methodology, right? As a researcher, right? You could imagine yeah. she's a tenured faculty, right? With, with publications under her belt. And it's her idea Right, she points out that that their notes, as good as they are, are inadequate, and it's she has the idea that they have to record and, more importantly, transcribe the interview. Right, but she basically what she sees, she's clearly so she's read through Holden's notes, and she does, you know, compliment him basically that, you know, they're it's that he's getting incredibly useful and interesting information, and she basically validates all of his um, his thoughts on the great utility of interviewing serial killers, especially Kemper. And it's the first time that he's ever heard any real feedback from anybody except for maybe Bill Tench, who, you know, saves them from the chopping block at the end of the last episode. 
Right. It, it's very, very validating for him. And, you know, she suggests, for example, that they make a questionnaire and then she goes as far as to say that they could maybe even write a book. Right. And he's he immediately he's like book. And Bill is just like rolling his eyes. That's the last thing Bill wants to do is write a book. But Holden's right. excited by that prospect. Well, I think Holden just he just doesn't want to be out in the wilderness on his own. I think anything that anybody says to him that validates his idea. And clearly you could say at least he realizes that her saying she wants to write a book about something means she's really interested in it. And, you know, it's implied that Bill knows her from prior work. Um, But, you know, Bill's much less taken with her too. Like, you know, Holden can maybe see himself, functioning in an academic environment whereas you know bill's not interested in that right the idea of writing a book is just more work to him i think he could see himself getting some private lessons and functioning in another type of environment too (laughs) with the (laughs) professor Um, yeah professor carr (laughs) although he's as we'll soon see he's barking up the wrong tree perhaps (laughs) um um, they try to meet uh uh, a serial killer, uh, another one, Miller, right, who turns them down, and they realize, in Boston, right, and they really they realize they can't give advance notice, right? right. They have to just show up, right? Um, and then which they is get, what Bill said earlier on, right? And you know, I love the way that Bill is sort of more slowly drawn over the course of the first season than Holden is. Like Holden's more of a you know, he's Luke Skywalker. Like what you see is what you get, right? Whereas, yeah. whereas Bill is more to, he's dark and he's more complex and he doesn't always say what he's thinking and he certainly doesn't say what he's feeling, right? And and you have to Kind of like Chewbacca. <laughs> you have to kind of take the time as the show goes on to sort of, you know, get acquainted with Bill's character in the way that you don't have to withhold him. Um, and then meanwhile... In, out in Sacramento, there is a second old woman attack also with a dog. Right. But I think first, don't they go, this is when um, Bill comes along and they go meet, um, I think before that. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't really? think so. Yeah, I think that they, I think they go back to Kemper much later in the episode. Okay. So, you know, I take, I take notes and my notes are in chronological order. So I don't, I think, I think Kemper is a little bit, uh, a little bit later in the episode, though. Okay. Um, so, and then they, uh, right, they're back in Sacramento. Uh, right, there's another crime, and at this time, the, the, the woman is, the victim is murdered, not just beaten, and there's another dog, that with basically a very similar crime scene. Another dog has its throat cut. And there's a ritual killing, and it's clearly now is this, is what they were afraid. And of. then they they realize too that they might not be dealing with a kid, whereas the first time they think maybe it's a teenager, right? And now they realize that they're they're not dealing with a kid; they're dealing with somebody bigger, stronger, older, right? Who's got a yeah. little bit more uh, skin in the game, shall we say, than just an impulsive act? Yeah, but right? you know, this is the thing. I think they knew that there was something different about this killing the first time. And I think when they're talking about it being a kid, it's because they they were following the old rules and they didn't know. Um, They didn't know any of the language yet. And this episode is the first time they make a couple attempts to ask where the train station is, you know, or say like, you know, I'd like a glass of water, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And I think they realize it's, it's not just the circumstances of the crime that make them change their view. I think it's that they, there's, it's their first attempt to think about the crime and the motivation as a way to try to catch the guy. It's their first attempt to profile is, is on this case. And, um, you know, at least with, with some alacrity, whereas the first time they're just sort of, they were floundering. Right. And to go back to the first episode, right. They've, they've already just two episodes. They've come a long way where, where Holden says in the first episode, we can't help you to that cop. Right. Right. And now they think maybe they can. Right. And then they are told about uh, Dwight who uh, has largely been dismissed as a suspect, but that the police still have suspicions about and Holden and Bill go out to visit with Dwight. And then Dwight, as, as they sort of interrogate Dwight, they sort of, they start to hone in more and you keep seeing them kind of bells ring as he says certain key phrases that they've already learned from Kemper, you know, um, you know, the, the mother is, is overbearing. There's a boyfriend, um, Right. He, had a, he had a girlfriend and the, the relationship ended in abortion. Right. And, and, you know, the pet is her pet, not his ding, ding, ding. You know, the, the, you keep seeing them make points and think like, well, this boy, this certainly fits. Right. And he's got scratches on his arm that look like maybe they were inflicted by the dog before he killed it. Right. So he, so you know, he it's very exciting for them because all of a sudden they can see a path forward, right? They can concretely apply what they're learning. Yeah. But again, he's no Dwight's no Ed Kemper, right? But there's enough there that they can start to see, you know, how they could take some of Kemper's experiences with the mother, et cetera, and apply it to him and move forward with this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they eventually they get uh, right. They get a confession out of Dwight, right? And they get Dwight for it, right? Based on their interviews, and the cops love them for it. There's a great scene where the cops and them are drinking beer and they're all excited. Mm-hmm. You know, they they describe a Holden as a uh, the modern day Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, uh, and Bill kind of uses that opportunity to sort of mock Holden. Right. Holden makes this sort of high minded speech and then Bill just completely cuts it off and, and says, yeah, we're really glad to have a beer with you guys. And all the cops clap. Um, yeah. You know, Holden was sort of going off the rails a little bit or leaving the reservation. But, you know, it's a great bit because they're able to get they're able to get somebody right to who beat one person up, killed another. Right. And they, they get him off the street. Yep. And and it's the first time they used the new methodology. Right. Which, and, and they're using the methodology that they themselves still don't even really understand, but they're able to, to have a huge win with it. Right. Yeah. They can take their, well, they take their first kind of steps, you know, they, because at least they identified this thing as potentially a, an unusual case last time that was confirmed this time. And then they started, they were able to sort of see patterns that they wouldn't have been able to see before and predict something about who does that kind of crime and then move towards somebody who, you know, it was a potential um, killer. And it was, this is not exactly a tough one, 
you know, it really kind of falls in their laps because the first guy that they finger as maybe being, you know, uh, suspicious, uh, and when they go talk to him, he basically gives them everything they need to be incredibly suspicious and then take him back and interrogate him. And then they get their man. Boom. And the guy who plays Dwight, I don't know if I remember his name, but he does a really good job. Like he's yeah. very argumentative and confrontational with them. Like, you know, like at, the, at the beginning of the interview, he's kind of, you know, giving it as good as he gets. Like he, he, I think at one point he looks at Bill and he's like, you want to suck me off? Or, you know, he's really in their face, but they just sort of double team him and he crumbles. Yeah. He's not that much of a challenge. You know, like you said, he's no camper. No, he's no Kemper, but but the guy who plays him does a really good job. Right? Oh, yeah, he, he seems to, like you know, a, he looks kind of dirty, and you're reminded that the woman in episode two said that he smelled bad. The guy who attacked her, he just he looks like such a miserable character. He just it's just kind of depressing. Well, and he's living in that terrible, broken down sort of ramshackle house with his awful mother, right? And the mother's boyfriend who's banging her. Right. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's implied. It's just, it's as bad as it gets. Right. It's not, it doesn't just look bad. It's a terrible situation. And he's abjectly miserable and it, it bad enough that he wants to go slit the poor dog's throat and kill somebody, I guess. Right. Someone who reminds him a lot of his mom. Yep. Right. He wants to see the mom upset. Right. He wants to see the woman upset, but having her dog killed. Right. He wants yep. to get a reaction out of her. And then she's got to be killed because she's a witness. Yep. Uh, we get more hints of Bill's home life in this episode, and we'll learn more about that coming up uh, later in the season. But we get more of a sense of Bill's home life here, or sort of hints that things aren't so great in the Tench household. But, you know, you don't get the sense that Bill's marriage is unhappy, and he's not looking to screw around when they're on the road with other women, but you get a sense that, like, Bill is carrying some burdens. Uh, Bill, that we don't know, really know about yet. We don't really get explained to us. Yeah, Bill. Bill stays. Uh, he really focuses on the home life. He's like a, a really solid dude in that respect. Because, I mean, you know, Holden. He has this new girlfriend who he he really is quite fond of, and at least he still casts a glance at Doctor Carr. You know, right? Who's and very I, pretty. She's beautiful, and she's you know she's striking in many ways, right? And, um, and she's he, a little chilly too, you know, like she's yeah. a little distant from he's a, She's very, she's interesting. I think he, you know, he, he's at least curious about her, and, but Bill's not even, doesn't even give her a side sideways glance. <laughs> Bill's got other things on his mind. Right. Um, and then, then we go back to Kemper. Right. And now, okay. uh, now we have, uh, we have Bill and uh, Bill and Holden back to Kemper, right? Who they just they, they say is you know it's not like the movies, right? Uh, per Kemper, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and he gives a lot of detail in this meeting about you know picking up the girls while driving. He talks about how he enjoyed hunting and killing them. He even says he goes so far as to say that he he loved his victims, right? Uh, Especially one of them. Um, in particular, and he, he goes to, you know, visit the crime scene so he can kind of spend time with her in his head. 
Which is interesting. Yeah. He, he makes the point, I thought it was really interesting that Kemper says that if he could have talked to his mom, maybe his whole life would have turned out differently. Right. And, and, and Holden yeah. and Bill sort of, they come back to this later in the show, like the importance or the role of the parents in sort of making these killers or these criminals, right? Right. A good relationship with your parents, right, means a lot, right? And a bad relationship with your parents, especially, you know, your mother may set you up for real, real trouble down the road. Yeah. He, he gives them a lot to chew on. You know, it continues and uh, the interviews continue and Bill is more pulled in to, I guess, realize how, what an expert and a resource that Kemper can be. Yeah. And, and you know, at this point, you know, Bill has stuck up for Holden, right? So he yeah. kind of has to be aboard, like despite his misgivings, right? He, he kind of has to be aboard now. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Bill... They have had a success, um, their first small success in applying their, the new paradigm. And, um, you know, I guess Bill realizes that there is that not only does Holden, maybe, you know, he has a, a point about their, their need to learn in order to catch serial killers, but also just the value in dialogue with Kemper. Right. And, and you don't know where it's going to go, right? They, you know, like they just talk to him and just from the free flowing conversation, right. They get a lot of insight out of him, you know, and they're also, they approach him a little bit differently now. Like they bring him a pizza. Yeah. Right. It's a little bit more, they have a relationship, you know, Kemper is already in jail. They're not there to prosecute him or go after him in any way. Like you can't go after Kemper more than he's gone after. He's got eight lifetime sentences. Yeah. Um, so like the scene where they bring him in a pizza, you know, that's a real perk, right? For somebody yep. who's in prison for the rest of their life. Um, you can't eat eggs out all the time. Right. Exactly. But it gives them kind of like, it gives them a leg up with him, Right. And and they you see them use that in subsequent episodes, but they 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 use small little perks that to them are nothing. You know, a cheap pizza that they bring in is a big deal to Kemper, even though Kemper doesn't really remark on it. You know, you know that it has an effect on him. It can't um, hurt, although Kemper obviously wants to talk to somebody who's intelligent and interested. Um, I think the biggest reward for him is being able to you know, maybe espouse the things that he's been thinking about um, and, and having dialogue and, with them. Right. And Kemper recognizes that they're doing something organized and they're studying people like him. And he likes to be a study subject. He likes the fact that maybe he's contributing to a project that has a life outside of the prison. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you know, in a weird sort of way, you know, Kemper is more organized than Holden is at this point. Like Kemper's thought about stuff a lot, right? So oh, yeah. he's been thinking about it for years, whereas, you know, he's ahead of Holden, right? So he's glad to have this opportunity, right, to interact and talk to Holden. I like the way Bill says that Kemper's like a black hole, right? Like, he, like even, yeah. even, even at, at this point, like Bill is more wary. He's, you know, he's got Kemper at arm's length more so than Holden does. And he sort of recognizes the dangers of becoming maybe a little too enamored of Ed Kemper. Yeah. I, 
there's no, I mean, he, he, he's fully aware of how scary Kemper is. Yeah, no, for sure. But it, it's, it's good because now Bill's really aboard, right? Bill's Bill recognizes the value of going to the prison and talking to these guys. Um, right. And then we finish up the episode uh, back with Wendy Carr again, uh, who is very much aboard. And they, they start to have this discussion about terminology, right? Like we realized in, in episode two that the term lust murderer is kind of useless. Uh, but they realize right. that they need a new vocabulary. Like they don't really have the words to, to talk about these things. And that's, that's somewhere that, for example, that Wendy can really help them. Like she's used to, to thinking in this way or making neologisms to describe new concepts or, or, or better describe old concepts, right? So there, her value is immediately apparent over the course of this episode, right? She, each person that they sort of bring on, right? And even 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 um, Holden's girlfriend, you know, everybody who looks at this brings a little something to it that the other people haven't seen. But Wendy gives them organization and structure, you know, from a lifetime of work in academics. Yeah, and then they, they actually go so far as to formally <laughs> try to uh, change some of the Bureau's um, official... Um, deviant word list which basically everything is a deviant word um and they they uh, they go to some some lengths to try to uh remove some of the deviant words so that they're able to be used in investigations you know um and it's i think that's just a device to show um them trying to change things and change the culture and change the way from within right they're trying to change right. the fbi a little bit from within right and they've right. got to they've got to utilize you know the uh the secretarial pool right to, to retype the list or take words on and off the list of terms that they are or not allowed to use right and it's supposed to be a little uncomfortable because uh holden is meets with a you know upper middle age secretary with you know a pair of reading glasses down the end of her nose <laughs> Uh, who has to right. type up you know, a blow job. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 You know, well, and they're going through words like, you know, pussy and blow job. And should they stay on the list or not, you know, one by one. Well, but it also like, there's a comment, I think in an earlier episode where Holden uh, tells his girlfriend that Debbie, I think her name is that, you know, like, like they have to ask women to leave the room when yeah. they use certain terms. And it's, you know, it, it gets at the whole idea that they, they, they've got to take all this stuff out of the dark and expose it to the light, right? And talk about it and get people comfortable to be conversant in, in this sort of language of these criminals so that they can have an effect. And this is like a, a very concrete bit where they're doing that, right? They're exposing the words to, to the light and they're allowing people to say them. They're sort of unshackling people in terms of their vocabulary. Right, because basically the organization is, is ineffective. Um, in certain, you know, in certain types of crimes, uh, they're, they're, they're totally ineffective. Right, right. And, they're, they're great with, like I said in an earlier episode, they're great with John Dillinger, right? right. Al Capone, right? That's a language that they understand intuitively. This is not. Right. And here, here is, is a sort of illustration of them trying to make some progress and advance 
things uh, in the FBI, which, you know, Tench is always describing and the series shows uh, by showing their bosses and showing other agents who've been in for a long time or people in, in Quantico, most people in Quantico or even the, the, the cadets, the students in Quantico as being extremely um, Victorian <laughs> almost, you know, very um, proper, upright, um, uh, very old fashioned, even for um, a time where right, the seventies, even for the late seventies when, you know, I mean, certainly look, it's not like things have changed that much since the late seventies, but you know, the FBI was, was, barely out of maybe the thirties at that point. Um, and they're trying to at least bring them up to the sixties. Well, and, and also it's sort of implied that the, the agents have to be, you know, taught not, not to, you know, just think in this old cultural way. Like that's part right. of it is they want people to be able to come up in the new system, right. Learning, learning these concepts and learning this vocabulary so that, you know, they're not going to be handicapped like the generations before them. That's part of the motivation, I think. Is sure. Like they want to change the culture for the agents, right? It's like, right. It's like when Einstein right, proposed, like that famous quote about Einstein, when he proposes relativity and he meets all this pushback and Einstein is famously asked, you know, how are you going to convince all these old physicists that you're right? And he says, oh, I don't have to, they'll die. Like, I'll just teach the next generation relativity yeah. and they'll be aboard it's the exact same idea here like you know they're they're not gonna they, they, they may never win shepherd right their boss at the fbi over but if they can win over the other agents and get the other agents wanting to work with them and seeing it from their point of view then it doesn't matter what shepherd thinks right they've, they've right. won and again you know shepherd you know we, we talked about him in the last episode you know shepherd's not presented as a villain right no He's just supposed to be, he's got his priorities and he doesn't really see how the work that Bill and Holden are doing fit into those priorities. Sure. I mean, he spent his career, which I'm sure was, was quite effective um, uh, in, in the quote older system and it worked great for most things, except it's not effective when they're trying to catch serial killers. Right. Um, right. And that, that's what the show's about. Right. Whose motives aren't money. Right or right you know, or right, anger. Right, exactly. Their motives are more complex and less intuitive. So I don't know. I mean, you know, this this episode, even though it has a Kemper scene, you know, is is much more of a workaday episode than episode two, which we you know we we raved about. This episode also has a different director, right? This is not uh, directed by Fincher, right? This is uh, directed by Asif Kapadia. Um, who, you know, I, I mean, I looked him up on Wikipedia. I hadn't seen any of his other stuff. He's a British director who's done uh, a lot of documentaries in addition to some dramas. But this is, you know, like you can feel a tonal shift in the show. You know, Fincher probably said, I can't direct everything. Well, but, you know, like, what do they say? You know, film is the realm of the director and television, which this kind of is, right? It's no, this is modern. definitely television. It's new t new style television, right? Yeah. Like, like television the way, plus the way the Mindhunter, our heroes in Mindhunter, are new style, right? It's it's modern TV, and you know TV is the, the realm of the producer uh, or the showrunner, you know, and maybe the maybe the tone's a little different, but basically the the development of the season goes by 
episode by episode and it depends what they sort of write into the episode more than I think it depends on the director and how they edit things together and shoot things. You know, they just try to keep a reasonably similar style and this is shot cinematically, you know, as we talked about last time, it's, it's, um, it's like, um, I'm pretty sure it's like, it's like 2.2 to one or something. Um, oh, I mean the, the aspect ratio. Yeah. The aspect yeah. is, I'm pretty sure. I think it, I think it is. Right. Um, and, you know, and this is written by Joe Penhall, right? This also with Ruby Ray Spiegel, but Joe Penhall's, you know, he, we've seen the first two episodes before this written by Penhall. Right. And, and when so he's not writing him there, he's a showrunner. So, you know, he's going to have an effect, even if he doesn't pin all the dialogue in any episode, he still shapes the series. Uh, and and there are other showrunners, I guess, too. Um, Charlize Theron or. Uh, uh, I, yeah, and, I think I, is she I think she might be more of like a, a I think she might be more financially involved. There maybe. Yeah. But Fincher is a showrunner, too. Um even when he's not directing, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, it's, um, I think that, uh, you know, they, they shape the direction of the season, the way they, mostly the way they write the episodes. Um, and uh, this one, you know, maybe it's not this, this huge sort of turning point because it's the first time we see Kemper. There's still a couple good Kemper scenes and it's still a very interesting one to watch to me. Yeah, but it's 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 just presented a little bit differently because now they're more they're doing a little more work with Kemper, right? You now you know yeah. what to expect. You know, it's like, you know, Clarice is going back to see Lecter again, right? It's yeah. not like the first time you've met him. That's such a great scene. Uh, but right. again, you know, it's a very strong episode. It's not as strong as the first or the second episode, but it's a very strong episode. And I, I think like my favorite scene in the whole episode is is a scene where they're having beer with the cops in Sacramento, right? When they yeah. catch Dwight, like it's a real vindication and you're, you know, you're like punching the air with them. Like they did it. It's really exciting. But, you know, very, very quickly, they, you're back, they're back to work with, with Wendy and Kemper. And you realize like, there's still, they've got so much on their plate that they've got to do with. Right. 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 They can't rest on their laurels catching right. Loser Dwight, right. There's bigger fish out there for them to go after. Right. And, and it sort of ends with them looking forward to trying to make more progress and fill out the basement office a little more, maybe. Right. And again, but they've got, they've got Wendy aboard. So they know like they're starting to get momentum. Like she's a huge asset to them. Right. So it's good. It's a good episode for sure. You know, I mean, in the whole first episode, even the weakest episodes of the series are really good, uh, better mm -hmm. than most things out there. But but some are definitely more standouts than others. Yep. Um, so you want to, do you want to say the email? Cause I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> it's mindhunter.companion at gmail.com. Yeah. So send us uh, comments or questions. And uh, obviously we love uh, uh, five star uh, vowels uh, for the podcast on your, uh, whatever, whatever uh, podcast you're listening to us on. It gives the five-star review or it gets the hose again. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Should we wrap there for now? Yeah, we'll come back next time and see where they're heading. All right. Season one, episode three uh, in the can and season one, episode four up next. Thanks, everybody.